Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Hey, if you have Bibles, I need you to open to Colossians chapter 1. Open your phones, get the Bible app. I want you to see what I want you to see, and I want you to see it for yourself. See, here's what I want to talk to you about tonight. I'm really grateful that Drake would ask me to do this. You'll realize, most of you already know this, there are things in life you have to do, and then there are things in life you get to do. There's things you have to do. You don't have much of a choice. Everyone has to do them, and then there are the things you get to do. And my concern is that most of you think being a Christian is something you have to do instead of it actually being something you choose to do, something you desire to do, something that you, the rest of your life, you'll decide whether or not you want to get married. You'll have a voice in who you marry. Then you get to make big decisions like, do we want to have children? And how many children do we want to have? And what do we want to name them? And how are we going to raise them? And where are we going to live? And one of the biggest questions you get to choose is not only whether or not you follow Jesus, but if you follow him, What do you do to follow him? I don't mean how obedient you are, because the problem is, and and let a preacher say this to you, many of you think that being a Christian is doing things you have to do. It's doing the right things in the right way to impress a certain group of people, to live up to a standard that you would think a guy like me would hold against you. Instead of seeing that being a follower of Jesus is not keeping a list of rules, Being a follower of Jesus is experiencing what it is to be his friend. In fact, it says in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they talked about Jesus, they said that we became friends of Jesus, not just obedient followers, not slaves. He said, I don't consider you my slaves, I consider you my friends. And so, you see, there's things in life you get to do, and there are things in life you have to do. And I never want any of you to think that being a follower of Jesus is something you have to do. Because if you have to do it, you won't do it very long. You've had to memorize things for classes, right? You had to memorize things for a test, and you've taken the test, and did it stay with you, or did you let it go? Being a follower of Jesus is not something you have to do. It'll only last for eternity if it's something you see that you get to do. You see, some of the things you have to choose in life is who do you want to be? I'll tell you right now, before you decide what you want to do with your life, you must decide who you want to be, who you're going to be inside. Because when you decide who you want to be, it will affect what you do and how you do it. It'll affect whether you do it for a long time or a short time. It will affect what kind of wife you are and what kind of husband you are and what kind of parent you are and what kind of worker you are and what kind of person you are and what kind of friend you are. See, most of us get asked, remember when you were real little and it frustrated you? Well, it probably didn't when you were really little. And someone said, what are you going to be when you grow up? I was going to be a garbage collector. Because my older brother told me, you get paid every day and it's all you can eat. And I didn't get the joke. So as a four-year-old, I told my dad all the time, I'm going to be a garbage collector. And he kind of looked at me like, oh, okay. And then if you'd asked me at 10 years old, until the time I was 22... Mark, what are you going to be when you grow up? I would have answered a sports writer. That's what I was going to college to become. I was going to be the beat writer for the Chicago Cubs. I was going to work for the Chicago Tribune. Because the problem was I was going to be the left fielder for the Cubs, but God didn't give me that talent. 
So I decided I would travel with the team and I would report on the games and I would tell stories and I, I was going to Indiana University to go to journalism. I was going to do all of that. I hadn't made a big decision though. I decided at a young age, at the age of 10, what I was going to do. I never thought to ask myself, who did I want to become? And then when I met Jesus for real, I mean, I grew up in the church, but when I had a real relationship with Jesus for the very first time at about the age of 16, I made my decision to be a follower of Jesus when I was nine, but I didn't know how to do it. I didn't try to do it. I was in and out. I was up and down. I cared sometimes. I didn't care other times. I really cared at church camp. I didn't care so much on Sunday mornings. And then at the age of 16, God did something in my life. He showed me what I was becoming, and I didn't like it. I didn't want to be that guy. I found out what my friends thought of me, and I didn't want to be that guy. I found out what a couple of my teachers thought of me, and I didn't want to be that guy. Then I heard a conversation my mom and dad were having, how they were struggling with my attitude, and I didn't want to be that guy. I had them reversed. I decided what I was going to do before I decided who I was going to be, and your character is what will make you successful. It's not your occupation. So Drake's asked me to talk tonight about what choices you're going to make about how you spend your life. And I want to talk to you very specifically about what you're going to do with your career. Now, I know there could be anywhere from freshmen to seniors, and the seniors are already chosen probably what school they're going to go to, or they've applied to several schools. And if I ask the seniors in this room, what are you going to study? Most of you Probably 80% of you would tell me, I'm going to go study engineering, or I'm going to go study sports writing, or I'm going to be a teacher, and all of that's fantastic. Nothing I say tonight should change that, unless you haven't decided first who you want to be. Because when you know who you want to be, how you spend the rest of your life is an easy choice. In fact, I want to show you what the Apostle Paul says, that regardless of what you choose to become, what God would desire you do with that occupation. If you're a freshman or sophomore and your answer is, right now, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, that's okay. You haven't grown up. That's not a slam. It's a reality. You will become who you choose to become over the next four years, whether you're going to college or you're just starting high school. And so if I can give you fatherly advice, let me tell you about your career. Your career is not about making money. Your career is not about being famous. Your career is not about pleasing your parents. Your career is not your personal, about your personal happiness or satisfaction. It's not how much you get paid. Your career is about using the talents God's given you to become the person that you want to become. And here's the good news. God doesn't care how you get your paycheck. He really doesn't, as long as it's legal and ethical. I mean, if you're dealing dope out of your trunk, stop. He cares about that. But he really doesn't care if you say, well, I'm not sure I want to go into ministry. Please understand, going into ministry is not who pays you. I'm not any more in ministry than every single one of you can be. It doesn't matter what you do. Once you've decided who you want to be and how you want to serve whoever the master of your life is, if it's Jesus... I want to share with you five things found in Colossians 1 and 2 that every single one of us can do, whether you work at a pharmacy, whether you teach in a high school, whether you're a coach, whether you're, you start a daycare. It really doesn't matter when someone asks you, what do you want to do with your life? 
I want you to answer inside your head first, who am I becoming? Who am I following? And what am I doing with that? So let me walk you through this. Have you ever had something take your breath away? So now, I know this is a goofy question, and you guys are, are real quiet right now, so this could, I could lose you right here. Have you ever seen something or someone so beautiful it actually took your breath away? Have you ever seen something so... If you, dude, if you pointed right now at a girl, bravo, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> like her, I'm like, that's, that's the man. But have you ever had that moment where you've heard it said, you see something so beautiful it hurts? And I'll tell you that it doesn't have to be this whole thing about she's hot or he's cool or whatever. Now, I'm actually talking about the first time you ever hold your child, there's not a parent in the room that will tell you that that hurt. It hurt in the best way. That is what the Bible, and if you understand that pain, like you see something so beautiful. Sometimes, and I know this is ridiculous, and I could get mocked for this, but have you ever seen a tiny little animal like a kitten or a puppy or a tiny little baby animal, and you just want to do what? You want to hold it and protect it and, and watch it? That concept that captures your imagination and captures your heart, there's a biblical word for that. It's called glory. It's the biblical term of glory. Anybody who's ever caught the glory of God has been so overwhelmed by his beauty and his power and that moment that it hurts. It's called a weight. Glory weighs on you because you see the beauty of something and you think, oh my goodness, I've never seen anything so powerful in my entire life. I've been sharing recently, the first time I went to the Grand Canyon, and how many have ever been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, and these people will tell you, maybe they think I'm exaggerating, but I had the most ridiculous words fly out of my mouth the first time I went to the Grand Canyon. Here's what I said out loud, in case you guys want to write this down. It's so big. That's what I pronounced to everybody in this group. You know, and they're like, oh my goodness, we didn't notice. But what happened was the weight and glory of that canyon. So I'm wearing a Cubs hat because this is what I do. And I was in college, and it, I didn't look like this. And the guy, the tour guy, said to me, he said, are you a baseball player? And I said, yeah. And he said, what position? I said, I'm a catcher. He threw me a rock. It was about the size of a ping pong ball. Didn't weigh very much, but it was solid. And he said, I want you to throw it as far as you can throw it. So I crow hopped, threw it as far as I could out there. And when I released it, he looked back at the group, and this is what he said. He said, it will take that rock two and a half minutes to land at the bottom. That was 40 or 30-some years ago, and I still can't forget that moment. The glory of the Grand Canyon blew my mind. Why am I telling you that? Because when you decide who you want to be, if you will allow the glory of God to shape you, then you will have an opportunity to take the rest of your life and use it for something that will never be taken from you. School teacher, pharmacist, sports writer, coach, doctor. It doesn't matter what you do. The glory of God can be the thing that motivates you to become who you want to be and also give you something to do with your life that matters forever. It's been said that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him. In John chapter 17, verse 4, Jesus, on the night he was murdered, listen to what he said. You can see it on the screen. I have brought, he's talking to God. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus said, I chose to shine the spotlight on my Father in such a way that it blew their minds. 
the weight of the beauty and power and majesty of what God was doing was so big that people were humbled and broken and full of joy and their breath was taken away and it hurt. How did Jesus spend his life? Carpenter? Eh. Messiah? Eh. If you asked him, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? I want to show people my God. Not a God that I'm scared of and not a God that I serve like I'm a slave. A God I have a relationship with. A God who's been so good to me. A God who has used my life and reshaped my life so that that 16-year-old Mark, I look back on him now and I just have to say to all my friends in high school, and I have said this to them, I am so sorry. That version of me was horrible. And they all smile and go, you're right. But look what God has been able to do and change my heart based on a good wife and a good God. I'm a better version of myself than I ever was because I had to choose at 16 what did I want to be instead of what I wanted to do. So now let's go to the text. What is my purpose as a believer? If you want to follow Jesus, I want to give you something that any, if this occupation can accomplish this, go for it. You choose who you want to be before you ever get to choose what you want to do. So let's begin. Paul says that we are to accept suffering for the gospel. Now this will divide the room right in half. Paul says if you want to show God glory, it's going to cost you something. And sometimes it's going to cost you things that, you, that are hard to pay. Suffering is not a word we in America want all the time. We take aspirins at the drop of a hat, hard work. We whine and our parents rush in and save us. Teachers assign homework and we're complaining. I don't, I don't have time. I want you to know if you're going to follow Jesus, he's going to lead you to your death so that he can teach you about life. Listen to what it says in verse 24. Now I rejoice, Paul says, he's writing to a church and Paul said, and he's a follower of Jesus who knew who Jesus was and it reshaped him. He said, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul says, if I'm going to follow Jesus, it's going to cost me the comforts of this life. Now, please, that's not meaning that God is gooning you, that God is punking you in front of your friends, that God's going to starve you and make you sick and he's going to punish you. God doesn't do that, but he allows the testimony of those who pay a price. Theodore Roosevelt was the president of ours way back at the turn of the last century, and Roosevelt said, history will record nobody who didn't pay a great price to be remembered. You don't remember the people who had easy lives and had everything handed to them. You remember the people that struggled and worked hard. We know the story of Abraham Lincoln. Why? Because he came from nothing to become something amazing, and he blessed other people. And I would venture to tell you, we talk about Abraham Lincoln because he knew who God was, and he worked to glorify God. Second thing I want to show you here, that if you want to live your life with purpose and you want to have a relationship with God that matters, yes, you're going to suffer, but you're also going to speak maturing truth in all situations. You and I are called by God. Now listen, this is a tough thing I'm going to ask you, and it's going to divide the room, because honestly, if I hear Jesus' parables correctly, one-third of you in this room right now are going, I think I'm ready for this. And one-third of you aren't ready yet, but one day you're going to stop and go, I need to choose who I'm going to be before I choose what I'm going to do. And then unfortunately, one-third of the room is going to just dismiss this like, eh, Drake's better, and you're right. And you're going to go, I don't understand what he was talking about. But for the two-thirds of you that want to track with this, I want you to understand you have been called by Jesus to shine a light, not on yourself, but on Jesus. And you can do that a myriad of ways. I'm looking around here at the cool sponsors you guys in here, and I haven't been in here for a couple years. I'm either over with my eighth grade boys or I'm teaching in the other room, and I walked in here, and I saw the, the quality of sponsors in this room, the people sitting with you, the adults. You guys are spoiled rotten. 
some amazing people in this room. And many of them aren't in ministry by definition, but every single one of them is shining their light in such a way that people see Jesus in what they do. I'm seeing builders, and I'm seeing workers, and I'm seeing teachers, and I'm seeing moms and dads, and they're amazing. And they don't shine the light on themselves. They shine it on who he is. Look at verses 25 and 27. I have become its servant, the gospel, by the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why do the scriptures matter? Because the scriptures point us to who Jesus is. And I'm telling you right now, your friends at school aren't behaving, not because they're bad kids and not because their heart's full of evil. They're not living their lives with purpose because they don't understand that Jesus is not making them obey. He's offering them a relationship which will change their heart to obey. And if we... Every single one of you is not shining your light in the high school. You're applauding the darkness. Paul says our purpose is to show Jesus in everything we do. That means that there are going to be some conversations you have where the word of God has not to win the argument, but it has to be presented. Why does God teach what he teaches? There's a lot of things in the Bible right now, if we were real honest, and we had a real talk, and I pulled up a bar stool here, and we had a conversation, you would say, why does the Bible teach this? It would be so much easier if the Bible didn't teach that. The reason God's word will outlast all of us is he knows what's true, and we're guessing. Paul says, part of living your life on purpose and shaping who you are is you have to know the scripture so the scripture can come out of you and instruct your life and help your friends. Here's the deal. At a party on a Friday night, your friends are not going to come up and want to hear you quoting scripture. But when they do something stupid at a party and they wake up the next morning and they hate themselves and what they chose to do, when they wake up with regret and shame, do you know what the perfect thing is? Preach them a sermon. No. Talk to them about there is hope found in Jesus that satisfies what they were trying to satisfy the night before. Be a light that offers them a good peace, not just a good sermon. In verse 28, Paul says, we proclaim him, Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature or perfect in Christ. Third thing I want you to do. You and I are here to expend our life to expand God's kingdom. Paul says that we're an offering being poured out to God, a sacrifice. When I think of a sacrifice, I think of the fact that I've known my wife for 35 years, and we've been married for 32 years. And I don't know that I've ever given her a birthday present or a Christmas gift or something along those lines that she hasn't liquidated and turned it into a gift for our boys. That tells me one of two things. She's either very generous or I buy bad presents. I'm thinking it may be a combination of both. But every year we'll give her money for Mother's Day or we'll say we want her to do this. It always turns into a gift for the kids. She she is expending her life to expand theirs. She wants to bless them and she wants to honor them and she wants to provide things for them. This is why you and I are here. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, no matter what you do, school teacher, pharmacist, coach, builder, doesn't matter. Professional athlete, you have an opportunity through the life God gave you to expend that gift in such a way it expands his kingdom, which is perfect. Not all of you are supposed to preach, but some of you could. Not all of you are supposed to be school teachers. Some of you could be youth ministers. Those of you that love those little kids, fourth grade and under, and you just love playing with them and get them excited and and teaching them things, do you know how many churches are dying for children's ministers, people who love kids in the name of Jesus? There's opportunities for every single one of you. I don't care if you're here for the very first night and you're like, I don't even know who this Jesus dude is. We'll tell you about him. 
Figure out who you want to be before you ever choose what you want to become and what you want to do as a profession. So you expend the kingdom. He says, to this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. You've got to make some choices. If you do some things for Jesus, you won't get paid as much as others. You might not get some jobs because you live for a different calling than just making money or fame or lifting up a brand. But I want you to know there is no more satisfaction in life than doing the thing God created you to do. And once again, I don't care where you get your paycheck. I want you to ask yourself the question, why do I want to do this? Dig down deep. Can you, as a school teacher, offer Jesus to kids each and every day? Absolutely. I think the most underrated youth ministers in the world are school teachers. Because you get six to eight hours with a kid every day. Their parents get about five hours with them. And if we had school teachers, and I could name a bunch of them that you know, some of them are even in this room, and they could make more money doing something else because they're very talented, but instead they're in your school system loving on you and witnessing Jesus to you every single day, holding you to a higher standard even when you don't want them to. You've got coaches and teachers and principals. My goodness. Amazing opportunity. Fourth, we do this to not only expand the kingdom, but to enrich the lives of others. Paul says, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It is not a punishment to tell people about your Jesus. You'll tell them about a new restaurant. I don't know, what's the new coffee place? The Angry Llama or something like that? <laughs> Crazy Llama, same thing. You've talked, you've talked to everybody about that. If you've gone to that cool place, outside of I hear they have hard seats, everything else is pretty amazing. I went to Zinc today for the very first time. Absolutely happening. The owner goes to this church. Amazing place, really cool. I don't like coffee, but I went in there because it makes me look cool. It's the only time in my life I'm cool. But you know what? Those, that coffee shop owner of Zinc, do you know why he's doing it? To expand the kingdom to bless people, to hire people, to talk about Jesus. It's an amazing ministry taking place because Jesus is not a punishment. Jesus is a blessing. That's why if you're following Jesus because you have to, you're missing out that you get to. And when you realize you get to, it's a relationship based on respect and love and it changes everything. Last thing. Are those good words? Last thing. Here we go. To learn to delight in obedience. Paul tells us that one of the reasons we have to choose who we are before what we do is because the glory of God brings about in us the delighting in obedience. And this may be a strange concept to people. Obedience is not so you don't go to hell. Jesus didn't say, follow me or I will burn you. Jesus said, follow me because I love you. So I don't know what your relationship with your folks is or maybe if you don't have a great relationship with mom and dad, think of someone you do. Grandparents. I love my grandma and grandpa. If you attend this church and you go in the big room on a Sunday, I talk about that little Irishman every chance I can. When my grandpa had shingles, which is a nerve disorder, he couldn't move his right arm, it snowed one time. I'm from South Bend, Indiana. We get lake effect snow. What you had yesterday, people in South Bend are still laughing at us that you didn't go to school. I mean, honestly, they're like, are you kidding me? Well, it would, it would snow six to eight inches. And my mom looked at my brother Scott and I one day and she said, hey, grandpa's arm's really hurting and it snowed really bad. Uh, he can't get to clear off his driveway. There was no way because of all that man ever did for me in my entire lifetime did I look at my mom going, oh, come on, hire somebody. 
my brother Scott and I looked at each other and we said, let's go. And we went over there and we dug it up and we shoveled his drive. Should I get an award for that? No, the reason I obeyed my mom was because I love my mom and I love my grandpa even as much. And it was fun to get to do that. My grandpa came out and tried to pay us. He, walked, he was cheaper and cheap. He walked out and tried to give us each $5. And we looked at him and we said, no way. And he's like, take my money. I said, no. And he said, you want a root beer? And I said, yes. <laughs> so we went in and we drank root beer out of a, nice, or a glass bottle and we talked to my grandma and grandpa and, and my grandpa didn't know how to say thank you. And it's like, you don't have to say thank you. I did it because I love that man. It's one of the few times in my life I got it right. I want you to understand that there's things you have to do in life and there's things you get to do in life. Could you imagine what it would be like to live your life in such a way that you get to serve Jesus, you get to bless others, you get to expand the kingdom, you even get to suffer? So the big question of the night is, who do you want to become? Start there. What's missing in your life right now? Discipline? Commitment? Understanding of the word of God? And when I say, think about what's missing, don't beat yourself up. Ask yourself, is it possible that God could do that work in me? That he could fix my temper, he could fix my language, he could, he could fix my lusts and my passions, he could fix my pride, he could, he could help reshape me so that I don't want to be what I found I was at 16. And then the second question we want you to think about tonight, and there's going to be an element here in just a minute that's going to be explained to you that you'll move around the room if you choose to. The second question I want to ask you is then how do you want to take that person you're becoming and how do you want to honor Jesus? Are you willing to choose to honor him rather than have to honor him? And look at what you want to do with your talents. And if you're thinking tonight, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life, ask your friends. They'll be honest with you. If you're five foot one and can't jump and you're thinking NBA, your friends will go, no. Unless your name's Muggsy Bogues, No. No, you could be the manager. You could own the team. You could be the coach, but you're not playing. Talk to your friends. They'll be honest with you because people see things in you that if you're willing to become that, how could God use those natural gifts and desires and passions? I believe with all my heart that God didn't stop me from being a sports writer so that I'd become a preacher. I think I could have honored God even in that way. But I'm really grateful that people in my life said to me, we think you ought to teach. And then I started experiencing it, never changed. But God had to start at 16 to get me where I am today, and I have no regrets, no regrets at all. I want to pray for you, and I want you to think about these two questions. Who do you want to become, and what do you want to do with that life once you become it? Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for their attentiveness tonight, for listening to a guy they don't know very well, and pondering and thinking. God, we want this to be a positive declaration towards you. It's hard to admit sometimes that we're not aspiring toward the better life that we could have and that sometimes, to be honest, following you is difficult and it feels like we have to or there's a threat. God, would you clear that out of our minds? Would you remind us of the love of Jesus on the cross? Would you even remind us today of the things we've tried to fill our hearts with that have left us empty and tasted bitter and disappointed even ourselves? And would you give us a vision of what life could be like if we lived it for you, becoming the men and women that you created us to be, the ones our parents think we can become and our friends believe in? God, would you call us to a greater calling so that we can live our lives not with what we have to do, but we can choose what we become to advance your kingdom 
to show your glory and to remain overwhelmed by how beautiful you are. And I ask this, that your Holy Spirit work through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.